0: From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swampson, Jersey, this is Teeing It Up presents Danny Fleck in his weekly spot on a Saturday morning during football season, October 9th. It's getting cooler in the Northeast. It's getting windier. It's getting a little rain in the air, a little chill, and here we are on a very intriguing weekend for both uh, for both the NFL and college, and we look at this college slate, and the way that I look at college football right now, Danny, is basically Alabama and Georgia are in their own league, and we're looking for two spots to be filled, and there's like six teams that have a chance for those two spots. Are you in the camp that Alabama and Georgia are off on their own, and no matter what happens in any regular season game or in any um, uh, um, SEC championship game between those two teams, that they can be kicked out of the playoff?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, knock on wood for both those teams, I think Alabama and Georgia should run their table uh, in the regular season, and you know, it sets up a matchup between them and an SEC championship game. I think a one-loss team uh, from that game, with the loss being either to, you know, Bama or Georgia, still makes it to the playoff. Uh, I think the the, we, the field this year is weak. Uh, a lot of teams that we expected or had expectations for have faltered. You know, Ohio State's playing with one loss already, and they, they still have, you know, the Big Ten um, schedule to go through. Have Penn State, have Michigan, have a potential date with Iowa in that Big Ten championship game if Iowa holds up their end of the bargain. Um, so they're still going to be, you know, tricky throughout the rest of the season. Oregon, we saw a loss last week, a bad loss to Stanford. Um, so who knows if they get themselves back in there? Oklahoma, tough game this weekend, and I still think that they're always right for a loss of Big Ten, a Big Twelve play. Um, and then you have Cincinnati, the other team, you know. A- impressive win last week against Notre Dame. Um, you know, I, I dove into, the- into that game a little bit further. Uh, while you know it was a big win for them, there were a lot of mistakes by Notre Dame that allowed them to, to have that game. Do they have a strong enough resume at the end of this year? And a lot of that depends, I think, on SMU uh, in, in uh American. You know, can SMU beat up with Cincinnati and be undefeated? And ranked inside the top twenty, inside the top fifteen, perhaps uh, for a potential showdown there. You know, will they? Will that give them a strong enough resume? I still think you know you're looking at at teams like uh, you know Ohio State. Uh, you know, if Iowa runs the table or is one loss, a Big Ten champion, you know they they're probably going to have their name in there. Oklahoma as well as Oregon get the, themselves back into it with an impressive rest of the season and a Pac-12 championship game uh, win. Uh, there's still a lot to be decided, but the top two teams, I think, have solidified themselves as long as they don't slip up. Uh, you know, Georgia still has to go to, um, you know, not go to, but play Florida in that game. Uh, you know, besides Florida's game against uh, Kentucky, that was an absolute abomination of a game for them. They're still going to be a tough out. And then, you know, Alabama potentially has, you know, tough games against, um, you know, Auburn on the schedule. I I don't know if their schedule's on the top of my head, but uh, those two teams, to me, pretty much, I think, are locked into it as long as they take care of business. Um,
0: What's interesting to me, Danny, is that every week we come on the show and we lose another potential playoff contender that's undefeated. And I saw the end of that uh, game between Oregon and Stanford, and what is so befuddling to me is that you go up, I'm sorry, you, you get down, you fight back, you get the lead, and then it's clock management. And why in the world are we seeing more and more teams having all kinds of game management issues? Um... You know, we talk about this in golf where if you're not in this set situation a lot, you can make some quizzical decisions if you're in new territory. This is new territory for Oregon in terms of recent play, but they went on sorry, in recent history, but they went on the road to Ohio State and and got a big win. So they've been in pressure packed spots before this season and gotten a victory. How in the world do you mess up the way they messed up last week?
1: Yeah, I think for Oregon, you know, Stanford's always been a weird matchup for them. Uh, They've always caused them issues for whatever reason. Uh, I think in that game, I didn't watch all of it. I only saw the end of it. Uh, I think they gave up a big fourth down play um, in the last drive for Stanford that kept that drive going. And then a a big pass interference in the end zone that gave Stanford an untimed down that let them tie up the game. Uh, and they were also without their offensive coordinator last week, Moorhead, which I think caused them some issues and, and allowed you know Stanford to probably be in that game a little bit longer than they should have. Um, but I think from a clock management issue in college, you also have to understand like the, the clock stops on first downs. Um, you know, there's some different rules in play with the clock management management, but I just think it's it's overall in football in general that you're playing conservative to begin with, especially in that situation. You know, there are very few coaches that are super aggressive, all game, regardless of the score. And for Oregon, you know, up a touchdown, their mindset was probably, well, you know, we have to have them drive the the length of the field to tie up the game. They have to make some big chunk plays here. I don't know how many timeouts Stanford had going into that last drive, but you probably take that into account. And you play a little bit softer. Uh, and we see that every week in every single game that, that comes down to a one possession game in the NFL and in college. In my mind, you should keep the same game plan you had the whole game, you know, play your defense, play your scheme, and play it effectively. But there's just a, a tendency for coaches to be conservative. They don't want to get that big penalty. Uh, but it happened regardless, right? For Oregon, there was a, a targeting call on Caven Tibbetau and then there was a pass interference call in the end zone, and you end up in the same spot anyway. So I think if you're a coach in that type of situation, at least play your game. At least if you lose, you know you played your game and and didn't do something you're not used to doing.
0: Bama, by the way, goes at um, A&M tonight. Mississippi State, home Tennessee, LSU, New Mexico, Arkansas, at Auburn before the SEC championship game.
1: It's uh, a
0: pretty easy schedule for them. Yes, yes. There's only two ranked teams uh, left, uh, and that's Arkansas and and Auburn in, in uh, the Iron Bowl come the end of the year. Um, Cincinnati beat uh, Temple last night 52-3. to And one thing Mike Tirico was saying towards the end of that telecast of Cincy Notre Dame is that they're going to have to... Um, have some style points here with these victories that they're going to have to A, hope that Notre Dame uh, continues to be a competent football team B, as you said, get some help from one of their wins and C, in all the other games that they play have style points and I think you run the risk while doing this but this is the way that the system is set up where you start having to run up the score on some teams um, to further you know enhance your resume. And if I'm any opponent of Cincinnati the rest of the way, I would kind of use it as motivation as like, okay, we can lose to these guys, but please don't let them run up the score for style points. In your mind, is that what Cincinnati needs to do? Do they need wins like 52 to three last night to try to get, you know, as much on tape for the committee as possible.
1: Yeah, I mean, it brings us back to the BCS era, right? Where where points mattered. Um, I think Cincinnati needs to again just play your game. If the team isn't tackling you, if the team's giving up big plays, and you're just calling your normal your normal game, so be it. You know, there's nothing you can do about that. Um, I think the risk that you run in that. You know, trying to run some points is—you you leave your starters in perhaps longer than they should be. Potential injury to a key player on, on your team, so you want to be careful of that. But if you're Cincinnati, you just need to win the games. I think that most of these games, the rest of the season, they're going to be a favorite, probably anywhere between you know 20 to 15 point favorites in every single game. I mean, last night there were 29 point favorites. Um, they covered the spread easily. That, to me, is the style point right there, right? If the spread is 20 points and you're winning the game by more than 20 points, you've done what you needed to do from that perspective. But you don't want to run the risk of, you know, leaving players out there in games that are already handled that are key contributors for your team moving forward. You know, they still have two, quote-unquote, big games left for them on the schedule, even though it might not be like that to the public side, but they got to beat SMU. When they play SMU, and then they have their conference championship game, that's going to go a long way for them too. So they still have a, a lot of games that have to be decided. Don't risk it if you're up by 21 points, leaving like Desmond Ritter in there, or your starting running back, um, just so you can get another touchdown. And I think the style of points are going to going to get you up there. You know, at the end of the day, I think, like you said, they need another game to keep winning. Um, maybe Indiana turns it around here, and, and we see them be a little bit better of a team, but if I were them, you know, I go into my games, you know, you, you execute your game plan, but you understand the game's in hand, you, you know, you, you make the changes you need to make, and then you just, you know, live for the next weekend and, and keep going that way. You know, the name of the game for them is to be undefeated at the end of the season.
0: Our great friend Danny Flicker with us here on Teeing It Up. Excuse me, when you look at Oklahoma Texas, and right now they're the sixth ranked team in the country, Um, and this is a better Texas squad than the one that lost to uh, um, Arkansas um, earlier in the year. Um, They've made some changes. Now you go up against undefeated Oklahoma. Is this another possibility? Because. The way that I look at Iowa Penn State is somebody's gonna lose this game and get a loss. That's what happens when two undefeated teams happen and somebody's resume is gonna have a little uh, you know um, you know be that little bit less impressive after this game. When when you look at OU Texas, especially from a Texas perspective, are they finally in the spot and in a place to Um, upset Oklahoma like is this the next game on that long list of teams that can have a say in this by knocking off an undefeated squad even if they're not uh, even if they're not undefeated
1: I I think we say that about Texas every year uh, when (laughs) they go into this game Uh, I think the difference this year is that Oklahoma looks a little bit vulnerable throw throw away last week's game Kansas State was a little bit undermanned they played them tough, but, you know, they were uh, their second or third-string quarterback. So it wasn't as, as impressive of a win as I think that people are making it out to be. Uh, Oklahoma has struggled this year offensively, and I, I think that that's their their issue this year is that, you know, they don't have that transcendent quarterback that's going to elevate them, like like they have in years past. You know where they had Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts. You know the, these quarterbacks that are in Heisman races that can do it all. You know Spencer Rattler is a little bit limited in my opinion. Um, you know he, he he can be accurate from time to time, um, but he's no threat to run the ball. And I think that's limited Oklahoma's availability, you know, on offense to get that big play. Uh, and it shows in the numbers that their explosiveness isn't there this year. I think in this game for Texas, it's keeping everything in front of them. You know, if Oklahoma's going to have the ball, make them earn the points that they're going to get. And then when you have the ball, if you're Texas, control the clock. They have one of the best running backs in the country. Uh, it, it seems to be working for them. They can split them out wide. They can run the ball with him. You know, he's averaging somewhere between 150 and 175 all-purpose yards, you know, throughout the year. So if if I'm Oklahoma, I'm going to be a little bit wary that, you know, if we're not efficient on offense, we might not get the ball back for, you know, six, seven, eight minutes. And Texas really goes on those drives with Bijan Robinson. So if you're Texas, keep everything in front of you. Use the run game, play action, and see if you can get, you know, Oklahoma to be aggressive in the secondary. Uh, I do like Texas today. I think Oklahoma's as vulnerable as they've ever been. Uh, I don't trust Spencer Rattler um, in big moments. And I just don't think he has, like, that style that we're used to seeing from Oklahoma quarterbacks. So uh, I I do like Texas today. This might be a day for them, but I wouldn't be, you know, shocked if they get their butts kicked uh, at all. Because we've seen Texas in this spot before, but in the last seven or eight years, this is probably... The first time where we can say that you know Texas isn't that far away from Oklahoma uh, as far as you know production is concerned. It's all about execution, I think, on there, and, and we'll see if they get it. I mean, the positive is that they have a a great pay, play caller in, in Sarkeesian. They just have to take advantage of what's in front of them. Uh, but I do think Texas has the opportunity today to, to pull off the upset.
0: And then you look at Iowa. And Penn State, Sean Clifford and company have been very impressive um, for Penn State is this a game that if it was in Happy Valley you go Penn State and if it's in Iowa you go Iowa Um, because I'm I'm looking at this line at one and a half which the way that I look at it is basically a toss up and it's almost as if home field is tipping it in Iowa's favor, Um, is that kind of how you're looking at it?
1: Well, Iowa's one of the toughest places to play yeah. in general. Yeah. Kinnick Stadium is, is difficult for any opponent to go into, let alone a top 10 opponent. I think, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I, you know, I can list the last couple of games at Kinnick Stadium where top 10 teams have gone in there and they played them tougher outright One, You know, one of the games goes back, I think a couple years ago, Ohio State comes in there top 10 team, they beat the crap out of them uh, in that game. They won, like, I think 63-24 or something like that. Um, Trace McSorley's rendition of the Penn State team went in there, and they got a walk-off TD. Uh, and then a couple years ago, Penn State was ranked number 10. They went in there and won 12 against Iowa. But, for me, I would take Iowa at Penn State and at home, and I did take Iowa this week. I just love this Iowa team. No one seems to believe in them even though they're ranked top ten, you know, top five. I, from a betting perspective, I know what I'm going to get from Iowa. A tough defense, good special teams, they're going to run the ball, they're going to use play action, they're well coached, they know what they're going to do and they stick to it. They're not going to be anything that they're not. My concern with Penn State in this game is you've had some big wins, all of them have been at home. Clifford, it is. I mean, was, the Wisconsin game was big, but now we're seeing that Wisconsin's just an absolute mess. Um, they have no offense. You know, their, their defense is great at Wisconsin, but they have no offense. Is Clifford going to make enough big plays against a team that's going to limit the opportunity for you to get those big plays? And on top of that, feast off mistakes made by offenses. I, I just like what Iowa has this year. You know, they're not flashy. They're not explosive. They're not going to, you know, catch your eye and, and make you think, like, okay, this team's going to compete for a national championship game. But I just like what Iowa has this year and being at home. And the money seems to be coming in on Penn State. The line opened up at three, went down to two. And I think I saw this morning it's down to one and a half. You know, people yep. are backing Penn State. So, to me, that's great from my perspective because it, it means that people are still undervaluing Iowa in a spot where Iowa's – continuously, you know, cashed in on. So I, I like the Hawkeyes today. I think it's going to be a close game, defensive battle. It's going to be a classic Big Ten football, which I love. But I like Iowa in the spot. I just think at home, with the way they've been playing, with the way that they're coached, I, I think, you know, this is one of the few matchups that Franklin's probably uh, loses in the coaching side of things. Because uh, Ferris has just been there, knows what he's doing, knows how to get get, get his team in this type of situation up for it. So I, I like Iowa today. It's just you know a hunch I have on this team. I backed them a couple of times this year in spots where people didn't think that they were you know going to pull it out, and I've I've cashed in. And I'm going to keep going back to the well in that situation.
0: Why not? Why not go back to the well if it's been successful? Speaking of going back to the well if it's been successful, the Jets are trying to duplicate what they did last week while in London. As we move over to the National Football League. And as I look at this, this is a huge opportunity for the Jets. I thought Tennessee was vulnerable last week. I turned out to be right. Zach Wilson, and especially Corey Davis, had a monster game. I think a lot of people who had Corey Davis on their bench, uh, fantasy-wise, are going to be not happy with that decision. And I look at this game against Atlanta. There's no Calvin Ridley. You're in a neutral place, essentially, in London. You don't quite know what the atmosphere is going to be like. We've seen scrappy, ugly games happen in London. We've seen situations where guys have had to play uh, really strong football, start to finish, um, and they've been f- and they failed to do it for whatever f- uh, physiological reason. And now you create a scenario where you could have the Jets going into their bye at two and three. And I'm telling you, Danny, I really like the Jets uh, tomorrow morning. And I really think this is an opportunity, especially if the Falcon defense can start fearing the pass and that would open up the running lanes for, for Ty Johnson and Tevin Coleman. I really like the way this Jets team played last week, and I think they win tomorrow.
1: Yeah, it's a tricky spot for them. Uh, that's my only concern is that they had a big win last last week. Uh, I liked the Jets last week, too. I didn't think they would outright win, but I had a feeling that, you know, they were being a little bit undervalued last week in the spot that, that seemed to work out well for them. Uh, but you have a team here in the Jets, right, that they're young. I haven't won before. Don't know how to handle success. First-year head coach going, you know, following up that big win with a trip across – The ocean to a London stadium where you're not going to be able to feed off that crowd against a team that's undermanned again for the second straight week that you're playing. You know, does the team respond to the situation? And I think that's my only concern with, with the Jets this week in that spot is do they, you know, get up for the moment, understanding what's in front of them? Um, but I do like them this week. I think, you know, Atlanta, you know, without Ridley, you know, they're definitely going to be a little bit more one dimensional in the past game. Uh, you know, the Jets have had a very surprising defense, you know, ranking in the middle, middle pack yeah. um, of the NFL in, in their statistics. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, Robert Sala, which is, which is great because that's what they hired him for, right? It was to turn around that defense. Um, but, you know, Zach Wilson still scares me a bit. still a rookie quarterback. He's still learning how to win the NFL. How to understand situations and, and what's in front of them. You know, take a look at last week, third and goal um, at um, you know in the last drive of the game, a chance to win that game in regulation. Third are down. Uh, he, they run like an option play, was it? Uh, it was a yeah. weird play. Instead of throwing it away and getting you know forcing goal from the two with an opportunity to go for it, he takes the sack and loses you know four yards. That automatically you know put you in a spot where you have to kick the field goal. So those are the things that I, I think I'm looking at still with Zach Wilson is like, you know, is he learning about the situation he's in? Is he understanding what, you know, what the next play might be if they're in that type of spot? Uh, but I think I would be backing the Jets' defense. I hope they don't make me look stupid in this spot. Uh, but I'm backing the Jets' defense in this situation because Matt Ryan is going to be without his weapons. He's a statue back there. He's an easy target. If The Jets are able to hold up on the back end a little bit with their coverage, take away his primary reads. You know, it's a great opportunity for the Jets to get after him, you know, force him to do some mistakes or take some sacks. So I think this is a spot for the Jets' defense uh, because I do think that the Jets' offense, despite what they did last week, you know, I, I think there'll be a little bit of a hangover, especially going, you know, to London. But I do think the Jets' defense has the opportunity here to, to you know, grab this team, put their offense in spots to be successful, and then, you know, take it from there. If he win 17-14, you're like, I'll take it. Like you said, he goes to buy 2-3, and three, regroup, you know, after that. But it is a good spot for the Jets. I just worry about, you know, a little bit about the situation and what they dealt with last week and what they're facing this week.
0: Especially, uh, you know, defensively for John Franklin Myers, who <coughs> excuse me, signs that big contract extension yesterday. Uh, or actually, two days ago, it, it became reported yesterday, and we sure love to make it look good on paper. By the way, uh, we've seen a lot of London games uh, from Wembley. This time, it's going to be in the uh, stadium of uh, Tottenham Hotspur. As somebody like you, who's who who watches a lot of EPL soccer, what should football fans? Um, uh, and specifically, NFL fans that is expect out of that stadium tomorrow. Anything unique about it, or is it just another stadium that'll convert well to football?
1: I think, if I'm not mistaken, they built this stadium with collaboration from the NFL. Correct. Um, so I think that there'll probably be better sight lines for the NFL fans. It's probably a little more intimate than Wembley. You know, Wembley is an 80 to 85,000 seat stadium. Uh, the stadium is probably I want to say around 55 to 60 so it's probably a little bit more intimate I, I believe as well that they created you know sur- the surface to allow for NFL games so like they'll be rolling out a separate surface whereas at Wembley they, you know they were playing on the ground that was yeah. there yeah. so I think that, that should make for a better experience you know for the players over you know the fans I know it has nothing to do with the fans but I do think that the players might in- might be a little more comfortable in that type of setting. Um, but I think that's probably it really, you know, from that perspective. I, I think that collaboration is allowing for a better experience for the players perhaps and more for the fans. But uh, I think it, you'll, you'll see a more intimate setting if they're able to sell it out. I still don't know what the what the regulations are in London for, for fans. I believe they're at full capacity, um, but we'll see.
0: 60K is the number for football um, inside that stadium, and, and and yes, there is a synthetic turf surface that's um, underneath the soccer surface. Um, look, your, your Giants got a victory. Um, I'm not sure if you're happy about it, but now you go to Dallas, and as one Giant fan said to me this week, uh, wake me up if we win this game, that's when I'll start believing. Um, You liked what you saw last week from from Daniel Jones and from Saquon Barkley. What are you thinking and hoping is going to happen in this game tomorrow against Dallas? I'm hoping their defense shows up.
1: I I think that's the thing that's going to carry them to a win if they're able to get one here. You know their offense. Again, I'm not going to put too much stock in what we saw last week. I think that they had the right game plan. Am I confident that? They'll do it two weeks in a row. We'll see. You know, we can't forget that it was 21-10 with nine minutes left to go in that game, and they were able to get, um, you know, that game to overtime, you know, barely. So I I don't want to lose sight of that, but I think this defense is what needs to show up. And, you know, you couldn't be asking for a tougher situation than they are this week against Dallas. Uh, You know, the offense is absolutely humming right now. They seem to be getting whatever they want, and their defense is opportunistic as of right now. But what I'm looking for is, you know, even if they lose this game, are they playing the same way they played last week? You know, I don't want them to revert back to what they've been. I want them to play like they did the last nine minutes of that game last week on offense. You know, aggressive. Use the weapons that you have available to you. Use the defense's aggressiveness against them. And take the opportunities when they are available. I mean, I think it continues to be hammered that Daniel Jones can throw the ball. And he can throw it well when it's downfield. So continue to do that. Put the defense in those spots where they gotta defend that pass. That way it opens up the stuff underneath for your guys like Tony and Barkley and Ingram across the middle. But when you have guys like Kenny Galladay, you know, John Ross was a pleasant surprise last week. Am I expecting, you know, another touchdown from him? Probably not, but You use this skill set to open up the rest of the field, and they need to keep doing that. So I think I'm looking for some consistency from what they showed us last week and for that defense to show up and make some plays and keep that game close so the Giants don't have to continuously play with their backs against the wall.
0: 60 seconds left. Uh, Anything else NFL-wise you're keeping your eye on for uh, this weekend?
1: Yeah, big game on Sunday night. Buffalo versus Kansas City. We'll see if Buffalo has the opportunity here to sort of, like, dethrone Kansas City for the year. Huge game for them if they're able to win. You know, it almost puts them in a spot to control home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Um, and I think, don't sleep on this game either. The Chargers and Browns. Uh, I think that's going to be a big game, too, uh, for the longevity of the season. The Chargers have had a surprising start to the season. Herbert's looked good. Cleveland sort of they slept a well through the first part of the season, but they haven't been as explosive as maybe we thought they might be. And, you know, something that has to do with the injuries. You know, we heard what Baker Mayfield's dealing with. They're out. They're without Jarvis Landry. Beckham's coming back from a ACL, you know, tear. But that's a big game because that puts both the Chargers and Browns in a situation where they are leaving their division. And then also that win will come, I think, up. Big for tiebreakers, you know, for wild cards, whatever it may be. So that's another big game I think people aren't talking enough about. That that I'll be keeping my eye on as well this week.
0: Danny Flunka, thank you as always for coming on teeing it up.
1: No problem, man. Enjoy your weekend.
0: Thank you and enjoy your football weekend, everybody.
1: The thirteen.